do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to an interview with regenerative farmer Matteo Mazzola, who after many years of working with leading region farmers from around the world, has set up a beautiful farm with his partner, Paola, in northern Italy. Next to developing their farm, he is creating his vision for how regenerative agriculture in Italy could and should evolve into a system where city and countryside meet and ecology and landscapes lead the way. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our Patreon community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits and how to become a member, check patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or find the link below. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food. I'm here with Matteo Mazzola, who is a very interesting regenerative farmer in northern Italy, but who has traveled the world and worked on many different sides. And I'm interested to take a deep dive into his vision of regenerative agriculture, but of course also to hear what's happening here in Italy and what are the biggest barriers and opportunities. Welcome, Matteo. Thank you. To start with the personal question I always love to ask, why soil? Why agriculture? What happened? <laughs> what went wrong? What went right? And how did you end up owning this farm at, uh, at Lago di Zero? Well, it's, we have to look back many, many years. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't come from a, a farmer's family. I grew up in, in a town, in a quite big town. But I was always very interested about the natural world, living outside, uh, not really accepting uh, to be in a school, in a room. So I grew up really uh, loving what was nature. Basically, when I was six, seven years old, I was reading, and actually not really reading, but uh, looking at the pictures of the book of uh, John Seymour on uh, self-sufficiency, which was basically teaching you on how to do anything uh, on your farm. And from there on, really, I've been cultivating my, my love and passion for nature in all its form. Lots of observation all the time. Always love to observe without really trying to understand anything. Then I started at the agricultural high school where we had a farm with uh, animals. We had uh, different uh, productive systems like uh, rice, uh, cereals, uh, we had the orchard, we had vegetables, we had a bit of silviculture. There was a bit of everything. It was a 35 hectare farm, conventional farming as well as the teachings in the school. But it was very good in uh, having a relation with my classmates, uh, uh, which were mostly all farmers, uh, sons and daughters of farmers. Two days after high school, uh, I, I just grabbed my bicycle and I started to travel around Europe with the focus of uh, ecosystem ob observation and uh, also going to work and to study in certain projects I was interested to get a deeper understanding. And basically I choose not to go to university because I believe also, is what I believe now, uh, is, is the uh, leading principle of uh, who I am and uh, Uh, what I do, of what I do, uh, is that we first have to understand what we are made for, but especially we have to understand what is the pace and the type of workflow that we need to, the pace and that the way we, we do the things that we do is very important to understand in, in which direction to go. For example, 
creating my own university uh, has allowed me to go much faster in the understanding of certain principles, not stressing myself about learning something that I would have never used in the future, as well as something that would have moved my understanding of certain things in a different direction than going into a more natural flow of things, which sounds a bit naive, but uh, again, is about uh, time efficiency as well as uh, result, reaching a result in, in a fast but good way without wasting energy, without wasting too much money, without wasting too much time. And when you say creating your university, it means creating your education path yourself, basically. And can you give an example of um, maybe the most surprising lesson during your university years or your education years and your study years, which continue, obviously, but you were the young Matteo on, on his bike going through Europe. What was a, a special moment or something you still remember as a, as a aha moment? Or For sure, there are many, but... If you had to pick one now, a few years later, what would that be? Basically, it's not really one event, but it's, it's a series of events connected with the possibility that I had of observing landscape uh, through perception, not just by looking at the landscape, but with all the senses, to leave the landscape that I was sort of uh, passing by and... Doing this for 12, 13 hours a day for months or for years, because this is what has been, um, it really it teaches you something that then will help you in anything you will do. Because it is about functional observation, but at the same time observing and perceiving without expectations, without judgment, which again, it sounds something very naive, very unscientific, but basically is the base of science. It's like not giving your ideas too much importance and just especially observing ecosystems changing, consortium of uh, species dynamics and behaviors of, of uh, nature in certain parts of Europe, Europe repeating in certain other parts of Europe. Maybe you don't get it straight away, the connection, but little by little when you work in agriculture, you work into uh, everything that is connected to ecology and managing ecosystems, then little by little it comes back, not really what you have seen, but the principles that you manage to pick you pick from your multiple observation, like repetition, continuous repetition of observation is what creates the foundation of understanding a little bit more nature and, and, and our impact on nature on when we do something. So basically, yeah, this was the, the most important thing. People often ask me, oh, you did the course with, with uh, Joel Salatin or with uh, David Holmgren or with this and, and that. I mean, I was very lucky to, to visit and to stay and to work and to live with many of these amazing farmers and scientists and, and so on. But again, the humblest experience was, from what I, I understand, what I think, the most important, uh, the, the one that really allowed me to understand much better all of these people, uh, allowed me to understand much better principles and insights that I learned in, in, in the various courses or in the farms and in the projects where I've been working and studying. So, yeah, functional observation has been something I didn't look for. Hence the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you would be looking for it, functional observation wouldn't be working that exactly. way. Exactly, yeah. And I would love to unpack a bit of the principles with you and then go to where we are now. So if you would have to share a few of those principles that you observed over the years and over your travels, what would be, is that a long list, first of all? Are we talking about 20? Are we talking about two, three, five? What do you see as the principles in, in your vision, in your uh, regenerative agriculture work? Basically, actually, there are, there are maybe not even principles there are more foundations, which basically are, are straight, uh, are connected straightly to um, 
energy flow, energy behavior, and how energy, what shapes and behavior energy takes. Uh, basically, is is all about forms and behavior of uh, energy. When you observe nature, when you observe ecosystem, when you observe villages, towns, uh, because everything is nature. Everything is just basically elements uh, which have been cooked uh, in a certain way and prepared uh, in a dish or in another dish. And, and basically the key is to understand that everything comes from either stored energy or potential energy or most of the time it comes from sun, energy, uh, photons, which are transformed as nature needs in, in different shapes and, and behavior. And when you understand that, it becomes very easy also to understand that human ethics are just uh, less than a secondary element of importance when we look at planning and, and making projects when we are working for nature. First of all, and if you, we look at a more ecocentric and non-anthropocentric reality, is extremely important to take into account energy behavior and energy flow because it's what dictates, it's what gives the rule of the game. You can't really... Either you, you go and buy energy from outside and you will create a certain amount of uh, social or environmental unsustainability or you manage to work with what you have. And what we have is stored energy, if there is any, and potential energy that we can use. So if we really want to be true with ourselves, we shouldn't even think about ethics because it comes after. Nature will decide the ethics. If something can be done sustainably, that's something it will also become the base of the creation of an ethic. But if we keep on allowing ourselves to believe in our own subjective ethics, we will not really go far. Do you have an example in, in agriculture of that, where we don't take, we meaning society, humanity, don't take, don't look at the basic energy flows and by not doing that, we basically create unethical situations. Yeah, totally. Is uh, the easiest thing is the whole thing about either connected either to agriculture and and uh, nutrition. When we are talking about what type of energy, carbohydrates, sugars, or fats we use in our diet in order to move and and have the basics the basic elements for our metabolism. So basically, when we choose to use more carbohydrates and simple sugars, we basically choose unsustainable type of agriculture because it is based on annual crops. Annual crops by nature are just a very specific tool which is used in the ecological succession process is a tool that is used by nature in a very short period. In most of uh, known completely degraded environments, annual crops or annual plants are basically covering the soil the first, the second, and maximum the third year. And then they leave the space for a more sensible energy-managing device, uh, which are all the perennials and with all the animals that will manage the, the perennials in the most efficient way uh, possible. There is. Basically then, rather than producing energy-sucking crops and basing our diet or on, on a more vegetarian diet, we should really think what nature would do in our if it was in our position on this field. Of course, nature will never choose to keep some annual cereals, some annual legumes, some annual vegetables, some annual weeds for more than two years. And we should learn from that. The alternative is simple, is, is based on millions of uh, years of evolution and is 
either pasture land uh, managed by a consortium, an orchestra of uh, uh, animals, or again, forest, which is again managed by animals and other elements. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. And going to where we are now, um, your and your partner's farm, how did you, after touring the world, not only with your bicycle, obviously, also with other means, how did you come back to Italy and decided or came about to buy this six-hectare farm at Lago di Seo, which I've been at a few farms, it's probably one of the most beautiful views, not necessarily today because it's raining a lot, but... In a pretty day, it's an absolutely breathtaking view, not the easiest farm to work with. But how did you end up here? And then what is Isida as a, as a regenerative farm? So actually, I didn't come back straight to Lake Iseo uh, before I, I started and managed uh, a six hectare farm on, uh, just by Lake Garda with uh, other two friends. Before that, I was in, in Australia where I went to study with certain uh, farmers or consultants that I, I wanted to know from, from closer. And also to, to check from closer what means broad acre permaculture and broad acre regenerative agriculture. And um, then for me, it was time to, to start a farm after many years of working in uh, other people's farm as well as uh, going to courses and, and, and really absorbing lots and lots of experience and information and so on. And just before going to Australia, I met Martin and, and Helene that they wanted to start a farm. And in them, I've seen really the right partners to start something which was really th the closest thing to what I wanted to start. So I, I came back, we started a farm, we, in, in three years we, we reached uh, uh, a 55 family, ma uh, families that were buying vegetables from us, uh, we were producing bread, pasta from our legumes and, and cereals, and then we also had chickens for, for eggs as well as chickens for meat on a movable system on, on our pastures. So it was, we were starting a very good farm. Then I met Paula during a, a course I was running on uh, agroforestry and then uh, love made, uh, made the rest. The move to the next valley, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And then, actually I didn't choose uh, this farm. Uh, Paula, my partner, did, did everything for me. I was actually telling her, but with this money we could get many more hectares and start something more impactful and start something closer maybe to what is, uh, what is uh, our vision. But because of different uh, reasons, she, she was very convinced that this was the, the land, and which is actually a very beautiful land with very interesting elements also to create uh, a quite interesting project from an impact, a social uh, media, and environmental impact uh, is, is, is a quite good place. So if you would have, have to describe Easy the Farm in a few, no, more than a few sentences, a few paragraphs, what, what would you say now, four years after you started, more or less? Uh, what, what is it and, and where are you now in terms of what do you produce, what, what, do, you, what do you sell, uh, to whom, and, and then we'll talk about the future. Basically, now we're producing vegetables, olive oil, a different, uh, all sorts of fruits, of course, typical from our latitudes, um, berries and eggs. And this more or less is what we, we produce. Uh, we also planted some, some carbohydrates and, and protein and fat-rich perennial crops, so almonds and hazelnuts and, and walnuts, but they, they will take a little bit more time to, to 
come into production and we will soon reinforce the whole area and sector of uh, animal production. So sheep for meat production and wool. Uh, we have different ideas and different projects on that, as well as small uh, small animals, so chickens, guinea fowls, geese, ducks, and in the future also rabbits. Going more and more toward a grassland-based a productive system, or actually, I should say, a silvopastoral system where we will have mainly uh, trees, shrubs, and grazing animals. So at a certain point, we will stop to breed, not to breed, uh, we will stop to manage and to have chickens and all the uh, animals that requires high level of proteins that cannot be produced easily on our farm. So all the animals that make a good use of uh, grass will be uh, taking place mainly on, on our uh, productive systems. In terms of transformation, you, you currently sell everything direct through CSA Plus, you sell a lot through restaurants, but it's all, I mean, you're doing your first few experiments with the transformation of raw ingredients into pro other products. Can you tell a bit more about that? Well, yeah, the ideas are, are many. The Times bureaucracy are limits are many. And the idea is really to increase the nutritional and, and economical value of every single simple product that we can produce on, on our farm in order to, to increase the potential of, uh, of what we are doing. Vegetable production, for example, is uh, extremely energy demanding and uh, resources demanding and is not something that can be maintained for a, a long period if we really look at energy, energy flow and energy consumption. So what do you mean? Because you hear a lot of people, especially the smaller organic farms and biodynamic farms and a lot of the no-till market gardens, etc., focus heavily on, on veggies, veggie boxes, veggie, etc. And when you say it's not sustainable in terms of energy, does that, is that on the human side? Is that on the soil side, the input side of all three? All, all what three. do you see as a farmer? Uh, basically all three. Uh, vegetables are, are... I've heard you say they're, they're weeds. But yeah, yeah, they're weeds. They're basically domesticated weeds, selected weeds. They share the same behavior of uh, natural weeds which are growing normally on either disturbed soil or a soil with uh, an excess or a deficiency in certain elements, which means is a soil is an unbalanced soil, a soil that straight away we can understand that it can't grow in that right moment, uh, very nutritious and uh, uh, nutrient dense uh, foods. Uh, because basically it's, it's most of the time it's, it's not balanced. We can reach very high level of analyzing the situation in the soil and in the sap of the plants, but we will be never as intelligent and as capable of understanding the complexity of uh, the natural cycles of nutrients and connected with the biology. So for one reason, vegetables are... are uh, they became one of the most important element of micro farms or small farms, uh, successful farms, is because they, they create economy very fast, because they are very resilient. It's like if I grow a tree from the first year to the third, fourth, I have to wait a long time before seeing a production. And it could be that during the flowering or during the fruit set, an hail or a frost, late frost or something like that, it will compromise completely the production for another year. So, of course, from an economical point of view, vegetables are much more resilient. From a short term. Economic. From a short term, yeah, exactly. Especially with climate change, often it happens that vegetables, maybe, yeah, you will lose some vegetables, but there will be always something surviving. But from an ecological point of view, to produce properly 
vegetables. Either you need a lot of carbon coming from outside, which it could be no dig gardening with layer of compost. It could be uh, mulch gardens, uh, market gardens, but you will need wood chips coming from somewhere else. That uh, wood chips that have been produced using uh, a petrol uh, engine, uh, a petrol powered machine. So vegetables they don't produce enough biomass to feed themselves in the future generations as well as to cover the soil enough to activate all of those processes of soil building soil regeneration that are needed to to change our presence on the landscape and so with, this with your functional observation on this piece of six, six hectares you started with easy, I mean, e it's not easy, fast cash flow, vegetables, etc. but at the same time planted a lot of trees, obviously on key line, very much thinking about the next 10, 15, 20 years with a lot of experiments in it to see what actually grows here because nobody knew. I think I remember a story from when we met is that the, the neighbors were saying you can only grow olive here, olives here and sheep and yet you're doing, I don't know how many types of fruit plus 40 types of vegetables and a lot of other animals than sheep, and the sheep are, are coming. So I find it fascinating, especially that this cash flow thinking, but not being stuck in, I have to be a tomato grower, or I have to be a zucchini or courgette grower, or I have to be, no, I'm, I'm growing with the landscape, which is something I see with many farmers, interesting farmers or good farmers, even though obviously I cannot say somebody is a good or a bad farmer. So where do you see the farm going over... Where do you see the transition from vegetables? Like how, many, how many years are you still thinking about doing vegetables? Is that five? Is that 10 years? Is it three? What, what is, uh, um, uh, let's say, the five or 10 year idea? I wouldn't call it vision, but idea and vision of uh, obviously the farms. The biggest problem is that I had to switch from a less landscape reading process-based farm planning I had to switch on, on something completely different because we were sort of obliged by the state and the local rules to take a completely different path because you have to reach a certain level of production in order to be seen as a farmer, not just by the neighbors, but also by actually who's uh, the whole compartment of bureaucracy and, and law-making machine. And basically, we haven't been working in the way we should have. And this is amazing because you could have the most amazing experience, the most amazing knowledge, but, but it's all relative location. But if, would that be, I mean, you're, you're, I hear you say the biggest barrier is local rules, bureaucracy that haven't been made for regenerative farmers. I mean, they weren't made in the mind, okay, let's go against this group. No, let's try to maintain a system that is very broken and let's, let's put some rules around to at least somehow go against the worst effects of that. And they never thought that there would actually be a group to something completely different. But isn't that also part of the landscape reading? Like it is part of the landscape at the end. So somehow being very Zen and you know, it's part of your observation at the beginning, like what can I actually legally do here? Or what maybe changes in five to ten years because, I mean, we are in a flexible world as well in a sense that some of these rules are actually changing thanks to a lot of farmers like yourself that are lobbying. So is it fair to complain about that while it maybe actually is part of the landscape? This is a very important insight and this connected to the self-limiting nature of uh, our enterprise. Uh, what means this? Uh, we come from a, a capitalistic mindset where normally we grew up in a society where we could get and we could have anything we wanted the fastest way possible the cheapest way possible and we it's very important to switch from that mentality to a more nature-based timing or pace of uh, processes taking place and and so on so of course, what you say is connected really to we want to reach a certain result the fastest we want oh, to because show. Because we, we know that this is possible. We know this. No, we possible. think it's possible, but it's not because in the current context of yeah. laws and regulations, it's 
we, we almost trick ourselves to dream about it. You tell me, look at this landscape, this could do X, Y, Z. But actually, if you look at the local laws that are there for whatever reason, that, that's not the point of discussing that now. Actually, you can't. Like, if you cannot put sheep in that way, then you cannot put sheep in that way. It's, not, it's, it's useless to dream about it. And, but obviously, we want to because we see, the, we see like an untapped uh, landscape or an underperforming ecosystem or underperforming um, landscape, which makes it very difficult. So what, what would you say... What's the biggest barrier for regen ag or re regenerative agriculture um, at the moment that you see? If you had to pick one, because for sure you have a list. I think it's what I said just before, is uh, recognizing that we have to deal with a different type of uh, mindset, that it has to be closer to an idea of e ecocentrism rather than anthropocentrism. And this is why... Our idea is not our farm, it will probably become popular, at least in the, in the Regenag movement, not because we wish or is our will to reach popularity, but it will be by accident because our nature is getting more and more closer to a mindset, to an ecocentric mindset, which is automatically what is self-limiting yourself into not becoming a the farm. Our idea is to experiment, to research, to make available information that will be used by many other farms that have to be able to start and to manage and to grow a farm like our, or actually a much better one. It's pointless to me to have superheroes. It's pointless to me to have farm gurus, because it's not the reality. It's important, it's, uh, it makes people more enthusiastic, but I don't believe is at the reach to a wider target of people. I think most of people like something at a people level. And, and you're doing a lot of courses uh, throughout Italy, actually. You're teaching a lot of courses, sorry. And uh, hopefully soon, with a few structures on the farm, you'll be able to also do it on the farm here, which makes it more people level because you can point at what you actually have done instead of being on a farm of somebody else who could be amazing, but you don't know the framework and the decisions and their principles. What else do you see? I mean, you do a bit online, uh, Facebook and Instagram. I will definitely link them below, uh, usually in Italian and English, which I think is very, very interesting. What do you see in, in, in the next years, if you would have a lot of time, which you don't, to do other things, what would you focus on? Definitely focusing more and more on, on the farm because even if I think that uh, courses and, and consultancies are extremely important uh, from what is my experience to show people and farmers and customers and, and consumers what we are doing, what we are really doing and, and they can touch it and they can, they can connect with all the frustrations, all the energy that has been used in order to reach something apparently extremely simple, I think this is the most important thing. It's not what we, we don't want to create a farm based on appearance, on, on very beautiful aesthetic. I mean, this is also, also very important, but it has to be a functional aesthetic. People don't have to uh, wow just because something is different than what they are used to see. People, they have to, to me, uh, they, they should uh, be amazed about the connection of aesthetic to something that creates a resonance in, in something that they maybe didn't even know, but it sounds logical, it sounds interesting, it sounds obvious to the eye of a person that is not judging something and is not expecting something. I would like to to give to people, this I think is what I want really to give to people, what I had the chance to have when I was traveling, which is a complete freedom to experience a real reality. Because we can't really keep on telling people what to do, what to think, what to read, what to eat. People have to understand themselves. Often when I tell people, about free choice mineral or talking in, in a simpler way uh, when a cow needs a mineral go and check for the rock 
or for the material that is reaching that mineral and leaks it. And some people ask me, how do they know it? It's like, and I tell them, you know it too. It's just that you're not trained anymore or you think you can't do it anymore. But just by looking at the wine tasters and honey, uh, honey tasters and all the people working in the perfume industry, like how to use the nose should be the first, really one of the first courses uh, that people should do if they want to understand more about the reality that surrounds them. Because we are basically animals that use senses to perceive reality, but don't know how to use their senses. So I remember when I was at high school, we did a small course on wine tasting. And what activated in me, managing little by little to smell something that it was there, but I wasn't able to decodify it. It really opens not just my capacity of uh, smelling something more complex, but actually the understanding that we live in a reality which is complex, but we are living it in a simple way. is a stratification of uh, simple insights that we have to become able to understand, to perceive through senses and then through experience. Just a note for my American listeners. We're in Italy and tasting wine at high school. Let's say the later years of high school is, is quite common. So just to, to put everybody at ease. What, um, let's keep it for a moment in Italy. What's your vision of where you would like regenerative agriculture to go? I think you know most of the farmers here in Italy that are somewhere on the path in transition. You've either seen them in your courses, you've either visited them, you've either worked with them as a consultant. I know you have some strong opinions on, on size and, and um, going fast and slow. Where would you like in an ideal world if it would be uh, Matteo deciding uh, with a magic wand to move the agriculture industry, let's keep it in, in this huge country, very diverse country, but I think it's a, it's, it's a roadmap for others as well. Where would you like to see the ag and food space in Italy go? If we would make you agriculture minister or if you would have the control. Possibly is one of the most complex tasks in this country because basically even known uh, people that do not have any experience in farming will give their ideas about farming. If, if, if you are at a table with 10 people and there are two farmers, all of the 10 people will speak about farming. It's like football, basically. It's like football. <laughs> it's just like everybody knows or everybody think that they know. And we're and now so, talking to somebody that knows a bit more, maybe doesn't know, know as in know it all, but knows definitely a lot more than the, the average people on the table. Where, so, do you, where would you like to see it go? Definitely, the first thing, the most important thing to me is, is uh, education through experience, as I said before. Because if you create a tool, if you create a toy for a kid that will not be able to use the toy, it's useless. It's just connected to, to our, uh, directly connected to our ego, to our need, sin, uh, uh, subjective need of creating something that we think is good for the others. First, we have to understand the direction that education should take, education of everybody in order to have a population of consumers, of eaters, of, of people that require, that ask, that understand what these new visionary farmers are, are doing. Otherwise, most of farmers will have to work double of their time and, and using double the energy to creating a sort of compatibility with the complexity that they are creating, but that which is not understood by most of consumers. So first is education, education in schools, education of farmers, education to consumers associations. Through, I think, consumers association, we can do a lot because there are very powerful associations in Italy. And through them, I think we can really reach a wider range, a wider target of people which are don't even know what is regenerative agriculture. Many times they don't even know what is organic agriculture. 
So first is education of the future eaters, of the future consumers. And then little by little is to understand, especially for Italy, maybe, maybe I think of small farming because I grew up in Italy, which is a country, one of the most diverse country from geographical, morphological, topographical point of view, as well as a social point of view, is very important to understand the entity, every single entity of bioregions, of areas, and to reach the highest vicinity, to get the closest to observation and interaction with the natural systems in order to create, plan, design agricultural systems which are based on the efficiency of energy flow of local natural ecosystems, but that, of course, need an outcome, a result, which is food production, biomass, fiber, all the things that agriculture should provide. So it's much more complex work than creating models that can be applied on broad acre. And I think if we really want to reach a high level of environmental regeneration and um, efficiency in the use of energy, we really should look at smaller systems which are more complex because the nature of a small system most of the time is of a more complex system because it's normal if you have a broad acre you will not observe as you observe a smaller piece of land the machinery will be bigger bigger is the machine less precise is the machine whether uh, smaller is the system you will reach to a system which is managed by hands and hands are not machines hands is nerves is uh, is something that interacts in not in a bi-dimensional way but in a fourth dimensional way with uh, uh, with the landscape so i really see that we could go from broad acre systems towards a small acre system but i don't really know if it will be really possible to change what is the the the, the nature of uh, landscape fragmentation, which in, it- in Italy is one of the most important problems. I don't know if we, it will be easy to reorganize the landscape from a... Ecology point of view. Not just ecology, but really who owns what. And this probably is one of the most uh, difficult things, either in the broad acre agriculture but also when we are talking about small farms. So I don't know really what is the key. I see that the landscape should be the element that decides whether broad acre or small acre farming is the most appropriate thing to do. It's like for certain, possibly for certain places, it would be more intelligent, more sensible to create and to work on efficient small farms. In other situations, it would be the, the opposite. But again, we go back to the landscape. We have to take time to find the tools to understand the landscape and we have to find the time to interact with the landscape using actively the experience which has been stored and stratified by the evolution of the natural ecosystems, which is a huge book that is there for us, and use it in order to take the closest path to the one that nature expects expect us to do. And to I want to be conscious of, of your time as well, to end with a, a slightly maybe provocative question, but I would like to explain why I'm asking it. I think in this sector, we, we need to start uh, thinking about larger numbers, larger numbers of, of investments, as I think many more are waking up to the potential of regenerate or from a soil perspective, climate perspective, water, healthcare, inequality, etc. And I think we're going to get quite an influx of people trying to get into the space. And I would like you to imagine to be managing a portfolio of a billion dollars, and I choose a ridiculous high number for a reason, because I think there's going to be a lot of money flowing into the space, 
And I think we need to start getting ready to, to absorb this. So if you would be tomorrow head of an investment fund or head of a portfolio of $1 billion that has to be invested with different returns, but invested, not granted, uh, what would you do? So after you get a heart attack, after you check your <laughs> bank account, obviously, but... Uh, for sure, the first thing, as I said before, I, I want to create the substrate, the, the base uh, in order to multiply the potential of this, this billion of dollars. And this means to me, again, to do education, to prepare the mass to understand the change. This would be one of the first thing or, or uh, one of the most important at the beginning. And then uh, connected to the bioregion idea, I would start uh, many different pilot farms in many different bioregions where research and functional research, functional experimentation should be taken very seriously in order to reach results that will help the farmers of that area where the pilot farm is to allow these farmers to modify, to renew their productive system towards a more regenerative regime in order to, from one side, decrease the costs of production, from the other side, increase the quality of the produce that will be then flood, will be floating the, uh, the market and at the same time understanding how to create ecosystem services that will allow the whole bioregion to increase general health and general um, genetic potential of the living beings uh, that are participating in order to live in, in that certain bioregion, in that certain uh, group of ecosystems. And together with this, uh, there should be given a lot of importance to mechanization and the technology. We should work on light, simple, functional machineries, uh, which will allow the soil and the farm and, and the agricultural world uh, little by little to disconnect from what is the spiral of interest of the industry in keeping the farmers in their in their arms so it's very this is possibly the the most complex thing in fact a consistent amount of the investment should go in a direction of uh, lobbying and new policy making that sees the farmer as the most important element of the human society and not the most important slave of the human society. And laws have to be changed, modified. We have to create, again, a more rural-based society because the energy we, we consume to survive in any other of its form is basically coming from agriculture in one way or another. And I believe that Turning toward a renewed inter uh, complex interaction with the natural world is what is needed also to reestablish what it used to be or it has been in different very enlightened societies of the past where nature was the teacher of the human society and through complexity was creating complex beings, not simple beings that are just good in buying on the internet and filling a hole that has been drilled for them by basically the industry and the, and the capitalistic world. So, yeah, I think when I, when I say pilot projects, especially in Italy, I, I, I must admit that I don't know well, the other countries, maybe I don't even know this country, but from what I see from my experiences, when, when I show something, not with words, but with facts, with results, and with something that people can touch with their hands, I change the mind of people in seconds. Sometimes people come to me and ask me, you completely 
turn me upside down. Things that I, I've been thinking for 50, 60 years, in 10 minutes now, uh, you, you made them crumbling and, and now I have to start to think about something, something else. But really, is is of course, is thanks to my experience and, and, and so on. But I think through showing people that you're doing something continuously, not really caring about energy consumption and frustration and difficulties and so on, is what gives people from one side hope, from the other, the possibility of really seeing something different. And a smart agriculture... A complex, smart agriculture is very subtle. It's interesting because it, what it does, it activates a multiple effects that don't touch just the natural kingdom and the ecological kingdom, but it, it, a, a certain type of agriculture will activate positively uh, the regeneration of society, of the economics, and all the aspects that uh, uh, inhabits our uh, existence. So through agriculture, really, is uh, we have a huge potential of uh, destroying destruction and simplification of, the, of our own reality, at the same time of a very important potential of complexifying from a functional point of view and regenerating what are all the kingdoms that uh, that um, create our reality. There's so much to unpack there. I think we can do this for hours, but we're going to do that in another, another episode. I promise Matteo will be back. I think it's uh, agriculture is the perfect Trojan horse to change a lot of things in our society. And it's probably the biggest leverage point we have. So I will definitely check in with you again. I will follow you as you're heading this $1 billion investment fund anytime soon. If somebody has it lying around, definitely give Matteo a call. And I want to thank you so much for your time, your insight, and for sharing this, uh, these experiences with us. Thank you. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.